Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Again, reading in a few moments with verse 14. We've been looking at Revelation for several weeks. This will be the last week we're looking at the addresses that Christ gave to the seven churches. When I was a boy, my dad owned his own business. Well, if you're in the business world, you run into all sorts of people. And you run into some people that just seem to have an overly high opinion of themselves. You know, they're just kind of proud and pompous. And, you know, sometimes when, you know, dad would encounter someone like that at work, he would come home and I would hear him say to my mother, if I could buy him for what he was worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, I'd be a rich man. Keep that thought in mind for just a moment. We are going to be looking at Jesus' messages again to one of his churches. And you remember that in all of these, they follow the same pattern. You have a characterization of Christ. You have a commendation of the church. You have a reprimand to the church. You have instruction to the church. And then you have a promise, all coming from Christ. Now, we're going to look at the church this morning at Laodicea. And the church at Laodicea was a little bit like some of those people my dad would encounter sometime. They thought a whole lot more of themselves than was warranted. So let's think about that. Now Laodicea was a uh, town or city that was really a very wealthy city. They had a lot going on for it. In fact, if you could just think of the things that you need to make a city, you know, a really prosperous city, even today, they had it. They had, they were a banking center. You know, and that always brings a lot of money into a city. So they, they were a banking center. A lot of people were employed in banking there. Around that area, they had black sheep. And, you know, most sheep are white. They had black sheep, so the wool from those black sheep was really coveted. People wanted that, so there was a demand for the wool. Around that grew up some industries that made clothes, that made rugs, and again, you know, industry brings money into a city. There was a medical school there. It was a medical school that specialized in treatment of eye problems and in treatment of hearing problems, and they had developed a, a salve that was just, you know, renowned throughout that whole area to, to deal with eye problems. So, again, something to bring wealth into the city. It was a city where three Roman roads crossed. You know, did, you know, that, I mentioned Roman roads. We think, well, what's that? Well, Roman roads in that time was about like interstates today. So you had an opportunity to get a lot of commerce there, a lot of trade there. So Laodicea was a wealthy city. And the church in Laodicea, you know, didn't face many problems. They didn't have any persecution. They didn't have any accusers. They didn't have any false teachers within the church, as far as we know. But they had some problems. They were proud. They were arrogant. And they felt self-sufficient. What is Christ going to say to a church that's in an area that's a prosperous area where the people in the church are relatively prosperous and where they aren't having to face a whole lot of struggles. What happens to churches in places like that? 
pretty much some of the same things that happened to Laodicea. Now, first of all, we have the characterization of Christ in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And we're going to find out some things about Jesus. Jesus sharing different things with different churches. In this one, he said he was the Amen. The Hebrew word means truth. The, the Greek word means it is so. You, you run across this word sometimes in the Gospels. You know, when, when you, you know, some of the old translations said verily, verily, and the new translations will say truly, truly, I say unto you. You know, it, it means what Jesus speaks is true. He was holding himself up as the true one. And that's followed through with that next phrase, the faithful and true witness. What Jesus says is true. You can count on it. He came to faithfully bring the truth. You remember when Jesus was on trial before Pilate? And Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus is representing himself again as the truth teller. And he's getting ready to tell a church the truth about itself. And then he claims to be the ruler of God's creation. Some translations have the beginning of God's creation. The idea is, is he started it all. In the book of John, we have this about Jesus. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, he is the creator of all. Colossians says the same thing. Speaking of Jesus, by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. That means that Jesus has the sovereignty over all, that He rules over all, and He rules over His churches. And so He's saying, all right, church, here I am, the one who's going to tell the truth to you, the one who has authority over you. In other words, he's saying, you better be quiet and listen because you're going to find out something. Commendation. Guess what? Not one word. Not one word of commendation. Nothing in this church could Jesus find to praise. Not a thing. But he had a lot of reprimand. Look at verse 15 and following. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. Wow. What a reprimand. Jesus said, you're lukewarm. Lukewarm doesn't please Jesus. You understand that. You ever come in on a hot day in the middle of the summertime, somebody's got a glass of iced tea for you? Boy, you can't wait to dig into that iced tea, but 
It's been sitting there for a while. It's lukewarm. Ugh. Or you come in on a cold winter's day and a cup of hot coffee, but it's been sitting there for a while. It's just lukewarm. Doesn't warm you up much. There was a problem in Laodicea. They were too hot to be cold. They were too cold to be hot. They were too good to be bad. They were too bad to be good. They were just lukewarm. Just lukewarm. They were complacent. They thought they were great. They thought they were an outstanding church. Everything was going well. Everything was wonderful with them. Man, they were really somebody, or so they thought. And so they were just complacent. They had a shallow spirituality. A shallow spirituality. You know what that is? Then we have it today. It means that your religion is all about this. Be good to grandma, don't kick the dog, pay your debts, and come to church. And that's about as far as it goes. Shallow spirituality. You see, in Laodicea, there wasn't any enthusiasm. They weren't excited about the Lord. There wasn't any urgency to do His work in the world. There wasn't any compassion for the people in need around them or the people that didn't know about the Lord. They were just, oh, we're doing fine. Everything's okay. Keep things on an even keel. They were lukewarm. Jesus didn't like that. He was repulsed by it. Half-heartedness communicates to the world that Christ doesn't mean much to us. If all we are is half-hearted about Jesus, we're not being a very good witness to Him in any way whatsoever. They were also arrogant because they were affluent, because they were wealthy, because they had everything that they thought they needed, they thought they were successful. Easy for that to happen to us, isn't it? Paul said, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. They thought of themselves more highly than they should have thought. They thought, because we're well off materially, God must be blessing us, and everything is okay with us. just didn't work out that way. And they thought that all of their success was their own doing. They were successful because they were smart, and they were industrious, and they were skilled, and they worked hard, and and it was all their doing. Remember one time Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, that thought never entered their minds because they thought they were what they were because of their own efforts and because of their own abilities and their own talents. They felt self-sufficient. And you see, that's what happened to us when life gets easy. When there's a lot of wealth around, we have everything we need and most everything we want, and we're not having to swim upstream anymore, and we think, I can do this. And and, and this is, you know, what takes place in our land today, and it just seeps into our churches. And we think we can do it on our own instead of needing the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the obedience of Christ, to Christ. So they were arrogant. 
They were blind. They were blind to their spiritual poverty. And if you look there in verse 17, they thought that they were wealthy. They had material wealth. They just didn't have any spiritual wealth. They thought they didn't need a thing. Jesus said, you don't realize that you're not wealthy, you're poor. He said, you know, you, you think you're somebody. You think you're special. You think you are superior. Well, you know what? You're really wretched. You aren't special at all. You're really one who is inferior. They thought that they were the well-clothed elite dressed up in all of those black clothes that were available there. And Jesus said, you're just a bunch of beggars in rags. You see their self-worth, their esteem was all coming from material things. And material things don't last. They're here for a little while and then they're gone. Jesus' brother, James, said this, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has brighted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now the material things are okay. We've got to have them. But if you are building your identity around wealth, if you are finding your security in material things, then no matter how much wealth you've got, you're poor because you aren't rich in the things that are going to last. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said that the things that are seen are temporary. It's the things that are unseen that are eternal. And Jesus was reminding this church that they were blind to their spiritual poverty. Are you blind to your true condition? Can you look at yourself honestly and say, everything between me and the Lord is all right? Can you look at yourself honestly and say, you know, I'm storing up wealth in heaven rather than wealth on earth? Can you look at yourself and say, I need God's grace. I need God's mercy. I need God's forgiveness. I need God's help. Because if you don't feel those things, then you're going to miss out on the things that really matter and the things that really last. Well, Jesus had some instruction for them. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Now, Jesus said, you think you've got everything? You think you can purchase everything with your money? Okay, you need to come and buy something from me. Several things from me, in fact. Now, can you buy anything with money from Jesus? No. He's saying you, you know, what, what it is is you've got to get it from me. You've got to get it from me. First in the Old Testament helps to, you understand it. Isaiah 55, 1. 
Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In other words, God offers it. You come to buy it, you don't have a pity to pay for it. He's already paid for it. Jesus has already paid for it. What we need, Jesus already has paid for. He's the ruler of all. He owns everything. He can give it to you. So come to buy it from me. Okay, what do you need? All right, gold refined in the fire so that you could become rich. Well, what is that gold? I looked around for that in the Bible some this week. And on Friday during my devotional time, when I was just reading, I think I found it. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Simon Peter said, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Genuine faith. You get that from Jesus. You say, I thought I had to put my, my faith in Jesus. You do, but guess who gives you that faith in the first place? It all comes from God. So you get from Him the ability to have faith in Him. And then He says, white clothes for you to wear. Remember that Laodicea was an area where you know, they had black clothes? You know, they, they, were, they were known for that. He said, I'm going to give clothes to white clothes. Why white? Well, white's a symbol of purity. Symbol of purity. They were to buy the white clothes because he wants his people to be holy. God is looking for holy people. He's looking for parents to raise holy children. He's looking for churches to be made up of holy people, righteous people, people who are godly instead of worldly. We have a lot of people who are believers, who are Christians. They're just worldly Christians, caught up in the things of the world instead of caught up in the things of God. Jesus wants to clothe us in those white clothes. And remember that Laodicea was a center that was known for its eye salve. Jesus said, you need salve from me so that you could see spiritually, so that you could see what really matters, so that you could see what really lasts. And then he gave some further instruction. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now stop and think about that verse. That's a verse that we need to hear, that we need to understand. Jesus says, those who I love, I discipline. I've heard people say, I don't know why I'm going through this trouble. I don't, why, I don't know why the Lord's so angry at me. He might not be angry with you. He may be just helping you get back on the right track. He disciplines us. You know, the Scripture says this over and over. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves as the Father, the Son, He delights in. You know, you run across that idea in the Bible over and over. Moses said it way back at the beginning of the Old Testament. You find it here in Proverbs. The writer to Hebrews quoted this verse and expanded on it. If you love your child, you make your child do right. 
If you really love your child, you're going to help your child be what that child should be. You're going to discipline that child. God really loves us. And so he's going to discipline us to help us to be what he wants us to be, what he wants us to become. And he does it because he loves us. And so he says, repent and be earnest. In other words, turn away from being lukewarm. Turn away from being self-sufficient. Come and depend on me and come and get excited about serving me. You know, we come to know the Lord. We get involved in the church. We get excited about it. You know, we come for years. It gets to be a little bit routine. It's sort of like a, a fire in the wintertime. You know, you, did you notice a little chill in the air this morning? It's not going to be long before some of you are going to be in the fire in your fireplaces. On the way to work this morning, there's a, there's a house a mile or two from our house where the man's already got a trailer parked out beside the road. Get a load of firewood for 60 bucks. Now, people are getting ready to build those fires. Now, what happens to a fire? It burns a while, and it gets, dies down, doesn't it? What do you got to do? You take the poker and poke it a little bit, get the embers red, you put a fresh log on it, you uh, fan it and get those embers to burst up into flame and catch the other wood on fire, and, and you get it going. Don't tell Joy I was talking about this because she knows I can't build a fire worth a hoot. <laughs> I just know how it's supposed to be done. Jesus is saying, fan your spirituality into flame. Give it a little poke. Put some fresh wood on it. Get it going. Be zealous. We're afraid of that word sometimes, aren't we? You know, you, you hear somebody say, well, so-and-so is on fire for the Lord. We think, oh, some kind of nut. No. We, 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 we take it to be fanatical emotionalism sometimes. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a commitment, a commitment to follow Jesus where he leads us, a commitment to do what Jesus tells us to do and to obey him, a commitment to live for his glory so that others can see his goodness and his greatness and his glory. And then Jesus gives an invitation there in verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus standing at the door and knocking, wanting to come in. Where was he wanting to come in? The worst church he had in the whole area. You see, Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus keeps pursuing us. Jesus keeps loving us. Keeps trying to draw us back to Himself. And so He speaks to us to show us His compassion, to show us His love, to show us His concern. Jesus was outside the church wanting an invitation to come in. He was wanting to come in and Get that church going again. Get that church excited again. Get that church enthusiastic again. Get that church blessed again so that that church could be a blessing again. He may want to come into our church. Get us excited about heartfelt worship 
He may want to come into our church and get us, you know, loving Him and loving each other because we love Him. He may want to come in and give us compassion for those around us to share the good news. But notice something else. Jesus' invitation is also for individuals. Look at the middle of that verse. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Jesus wants to come into our lives. He wants to come into our lives and bless us. He says, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, in New Testament times, Jewish times, a shared meal carried more significance than it does today. When you sit down to eat with somebody, it meant you accepted them, you wanted to be close to them, you wanted to share you know, fellowship with them. It was more than just a meal. You see this sometimes in the New Testament. You remember when the scribes and Pharisees started watching Jesus and they were saying, He eats with publicans and sinners. Horror of horror. He eats with them. Simon Peter went up to Antioch, started eating with the Gentiles until some of the Jewish Christians came up. And then he said, Ooh, I better not be seen eating with them. It just meant something. You, you, you get some idea if you think back about 50 years ago when we had the civil rights movement in this country, when the, the you know, black people weren't allowed to go in into many restaurants to eat. It was a separation. Thankfully, the bars fell, and you know, now you don't think anything about it. But it's that idea, you share a meal, you share closeness. The idea is Jesus wants to be close to us. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. It's easy to get caught up in religion and never have a relationship. And Jesus wants us to have a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with Him. And so He doesn't just come to churches. He comes to us as individuals and wants us to invite Him in and have the eternal life, have that eternal relationship. And then he gives a promise. Verse 21, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The highest thing you could think of was being able to share a throne. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples one time. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying, I'll share my rule with you. This one who brought all into being and exists because of Him says, I will share it with you, my people. A sign of victory. A sign of royal honor. Jesus sharing His place with us. And so He calls us to hear in verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He said that to each and every church. He said it over and over. Are you listening? Are you trying to hear? Are we listening? Are we trying to hear? Are you listening? Are you trying to hear? How do you apply this to your life? Maybe you're not in a relationship with Christ. And if you're not in a relationship with Christ, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It's easy to do that. The world tells you you're okay. Everything's well and good with you. You're acceptable just as you are. 
be humble enough to accept the fact that what you are is a sinner, that you have sinned against a holy God, that you have gone your own way, that you have done things that you shouldn't have done, you've thought things that you shouldn't have thought, you've treated people in ways you shouldn't have treated them. You're a sinner. And unless something is done about your sin, you're eternally cut off from Jesus. But Jesus wants you to have a relationship with Him. He wants you to open the life. You, maybe you feel Him knocking at the door of your heart today. And like the choir sang, just as you are, you can go to the door. You can't dress up to please Him. Just as you are, go to the door. Let Him come in. Give you a genuine faith. Clothe you with His righteousness. And give you an eternal relationship with Him that starts the moment you receive Him and goes on for all eternity, forever in heaven. Don't you need that relationship today? And if you are in a relationship with Christ, then be earnest. Be earnest. Be zealous. Get over the lukewarmness. Live a holy life. We're to be godly. That ought to characterize us. People ought to say that, about, that person's a godly person. I can just tell by what they do, what they don't do, how they treat people. When God disciplines you, accept it as His love for you. Don't buck it. Accept it. And look forward to your reign with Christ. Do you ever do that? Do you ever just sit down and think, one day I'm going to reign with Jesus. One day I'm going to share in His glory. One day I'm going to live in His city. You ever think about that? Man, that's the good things to think about sometimes. What about you today? What's the Lord saying to you today? Maybe you need to come and start that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to come today and deepen that relationship with Jesus and let Him warm it up all over again. Our invitation hymn is number 443.